Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. After the introduction, I think we can just skip the message. I will personally pray for all of you. Well, I'm just kidding. How are you all this morning? Good. All right. Well, I've got a lot of ground to cover, so um, no jokes for this morning. I've got jokes in between, so we'll get to some of those later. But um, before, before I get moving on, um, as we were singing the song earlier, I think I believe it was the second song, there was a bridge, and uh, it went, you are a miracle-working God, you are a miracle-working God. And uh, uh, as we were singing that, that lyric, you know, I just felt um, this uh, sudden surge of faith in my spirit. You know, I just felt this great expectation um, in my spirit, and um, you know, I, I believe God wants to release uh, miracles oh, yeah. this morning, and uh, specifically, uh, it has to do with um, certain uh, impossible circumstances. You know, the whole idea of what a miracle is is that you know you cannot get to uh, the breakthrough or that place apart from a divine God intervention. Yes, yeah, yeah. and um, I'm wondering, you know, if there are people here who are in a place like that, you know, a place of desperation. You're, you're at your wit's end. You, know, you don't see a way out of the situation you're in. I believe God wants to bring a breakthrough in that situation. I believe there, the miracle-working power of Jesus that was released and purchased for us on the cross is present here today. I believe God's miracle power is going to touch you. And so uh, I, I just felt this... Uh, search of faith and expectation. I just want to be obedient to it. And so, uh, if there's anyone of you, you know, and this is family, this is community, and I want to stand with you, but if there's any one of you who is in need of a miracle, doesn't have to be healing, you know, it can just be a negative circumstance that you hope to see turned around, I would like to pray for you. So if there's anyone in need of a miracle, I want you to raise your hands. I would like to pray for you. Is there anyone? Right, thank you, thank you. You see your hands? Alright, church family, you see all these hands. I want you to stretch your hands towards them. And uh, let's pray. Uh, just begin to pray in the Spirit. And begin to pray for these people. If you are around them close enough, just lay your, your hands on them. Thank you, Jesus. Shataramai. Come on, let's pray in the Spirit. Sharamai and Arabaya. In Jesus' name. 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 Thank you, Lord. Jesus. In the name that's above every other name, in the name that is above God, every circumstance, every situation, in the name that speaks a better word above every negative report, in the name of Jesus, we speak over every impossible circumstance to bow to the name which is above all other names. We pray right now in Jesus' name for every negative report to be turned into good, God. Lord, we know that with you, God, nothing is impossible. So we speak to these impossibilities, God, be it finances, be it in healing, be it in relationship. And we ask for all these to be turned into testimonies of your glory, God. Lord, we know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can conceive or imagine. So God, we ask... Let the miracle-working power of Jesus be manifested in these lives. In Jesus' name, Father, we speak breakthrough, 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 that this is the year of deliverance, the year of jubilee, that you're restoring what the locusts have taken away, you're restoring what was stolen. In Jesus' name, we speak a manifold return over these lives, God. God, we're expecting for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, we pray and of God's people say, Amen, amen. That's awesome. Amen. Um, you know, if you have testimonies of God doing something for you, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Um, just pick up one of the connect cards in the foyer. There's a page in the back. Just fill that out. Drop it in the offering bucket. And uh, we'd love to collate these stories and testimonies of what God is doing in our midst. Amen? Amen. Yeah. amen. <clears throat> right. You ready? We get going. This year um, would be the 12th year uh, I'm a Christian. Um, I was just thinking about it the other day. You know, it was, it's 12 years since I gave my life to Jesus. I was a young, 
much skinnier version of myself. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 16. And uh, this year will be the 12th year. Just a show of hands. How many of you have been a Christian for uh, more than 10 years? Can I see a show of hands? Wow, you know, very mature, very old, all of you. Um, and, uh, you know, a good chunk of you all know, have been in church, involved in church life uh, for you no know, majority, if not all, of that 10 years. And uh, one thing I find really interesting about church and a church community is that there are statements that if you take outside of a church setting, sounds absolutely absurd, ridiculous, or it doesn't make any sense, or it can be borderline offensive. Um, you know, I was part of ministry school and I remember a pastor, you know, she was doing one of those like video vlog things and she was on a plane and she was going to do some ministry in, uh, in Chicago and she was on a plane uh, doing a vlog and I was like, oh, I'm going to Chicago, we're going to take it for the gospel. And then she was on the plane and uh, she bought it first and there were people that were walking by her as she vlogged and then she was like, you know, I'm going to take it for the gospel and uh, we're going to blow it up, we're going to blow it up. And she started repeating that and... People just stopped in their track, in the vlog, you can see, and they were like, just, what the? She was in the plane. No. See, for all of us, you're like, oh yeah, blow it up. Yeah, I, I understand that, you know. Like, am I making sense? Like, you know, if you will leave here and you'll meet friends who are not in church, you know, and you're like, oh yeah, you know, today I was in church, I really got filled and drunk. You know, people are like, oh, you're really taking that communion cup, huh? Like, second, second, third serving, is it? You know, or like if we go around and like, you know, yeah, man, you know, you're such a good lover. You know, you're such a good lover. You know, in a church setting, yes, but when you go outside, you're like, whoa. Kudos. <laughs> right, am I making sense? Yeah? You know, or if we leave this place and we, we meet our friends, you know, and we say, you know, I was really touched in church today. I was really touched. And then people are like, oh, I think you better call police, man. You know, well, I mean, am I making sense, yeah? It makes sense to us, right, you know, when we talk about being touched, you know, like, oh, it doesn't mean, like, you know, being physically hit, but there, there is an, an aspect uh, of us that can be touched apart from the physical body. Am I making sense? There's an aspect of our personhood that can be moved beyond just being moved physically. Am I making sense? Yeah. You know, listen to a, a sappy song, watch a crying movie, watch Toy Story 3, and you know what I'm saying, Right? You can be touched, you can be moved apart from your physical being. Am I making sense? Am I making sense? You know, so what is this thing that is, is able to be, it, it feels, you know, the, the touch internally feels as real as the touch physically. Am I making sense? It feels so real, right? But yet we can't see it. Yet, we can't fully explain it to some extent, you know, right? It's a very real world, you know, this internal world that is within us that can be touched, that can be moved, that can be hurt to some degree, right? I can stab you with a, with a knife, I can hurt you with my words, right? But you don't see any physical marks on my body when I hurt you with my words. There's another aspect of a personhood that's hurt. And I would like to propose to you that that internal world I believe, you know, it's the soul. You know, I believe that all of us human beings are made out of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And today I want to talk about the soul. You know, the, the origin of my message really, you know, um, towards the end of last year, you know, I realized that uh, in the months, you know, that were leading up to uh, different big things we had going on in church, my wedding, you know, and stuff like that, I was really stressed up and uh, just not... Overall, a really pleasant person, you know, and I was really stressed, uh, really, um, yeah, I couldn't sleep, and I was just not a happy camper, if you, if you will. And I remember I did a series here, you know, and uh, Amy will be very familiar with it, maybe uh, one or two of my closer friends, but I remember uh, after preaching um, a couple of messages here, I went to my office, I put down the blinds, and I got onto the sofa, and I just curled up in the fetal position, <laughs> feeling like a complete failure, I know. Can't imagine like Andre can bend his knees up, but <clears throat> I can. I'm stretchy like that. But uh, but yeah, you know, I, I was just feeling like overwhelmed, like sense of failure. I don't think it's just 
exclusive to people in ministry. Like, how many of you have felt that way before? Like, this, this is a failure. Like, I'm not good enough. Like, no matter what I do, I'm not good enough. And, and I'm the kind of guy, you know, I'm not sure if any of you are, work that way, but, you know, I would go back home and uh, before I sleep in the night, I would, my, my brain would start racing. I would think through all the conversations that I had in the day and all the things I said. And then I would sit there and I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have said that. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. I sound so dumb. Oh my gosh, you know, what would they think of me? And, and I do that, you know, uh, every day, you know, or I have done that every day for you know, most part of my life. And, and, uh, and I realized that, you know, I had a real problem. Uh, and uh, it, it intensified leading up to the, the wedding with all the stress and stuff like that. And, um, and it got worse when, when I began to even question um, the the call of God that's upon my life, you know. Um, just to give you a bit of insight into my life, you know, I'm a pastor, yes, that's why I'm up here talking to you. Hi. Um, but, you know, I've always thought that pastors should have um, certain personality traits, types, and or um, abilities, if you will. And I've always thought of myself being lacking in all those areas that I typically associate to great pastors, like being a real good people person, being real good at social gatherings. Um, I'm like incredibly high on the introverted uh, scale. You know, I have a real fear of meeting new people. And uh, I get socially awkward when I meet a new person. I'm sure some of you have experienced that. You know, I try to say hi to you, and I really want to say hi to you, but you know, the words just don't come out, you know. And, and, and I was just feeling all of that, you know. And I was just not sure. I was just... Um, trouble, I wasn't at rest, I was stressed up. And I remember, you know, one day I was lying down and, and I heard uh, God speak to me. Um, and it's one of the clearest uh, times that I've heard the Lord speak to me. And uh, the Lord just asked me, Andre, how's your soul? And I was super confused when, when I heard that, you know, Andre, how's your, your soul? Because, you know, I, I admit, you know, I, I've done pretty well and I feel I've done pretty well in the spiritual department. I worship, I pray, I read the Bible, I am part of a community, blah, blah, I'm, I'm doing great. You know, body, yes, can do a bit better, but you no, know, I don't drink soda, I don't eat a lot of junk food, I'm doing, okay, can do better, but <laughs> decently so. And, uh, and I was like, no, what, what do you mean? How's your soul? And, and that really started me on this journey of discovering what the soul is and how vital it is for me to be healthy not just in the body, not just in the spirit, but in the soul as well. And, you know, the first week of the year, you know, in most churches, you typically have the pastor coming up and giving you the vision for the church for the year and telling you these are all the initiatives, you're going to do these are all the projects you're going to be part of. And we'll get to that at some point. We'll, we'll, we'll come out a nice thing and we'll get you all informed. But, you know, if I can set a theme for the year or goal for the year or vision for your life and mine, is for us to be healthy, body, soul, and spirit. And to specifically uh, look at how to get our souls healthy. Am I making sense? And so, you know, I, I, I'm going to take a few weeks on this, and I'm not sure how long. Um, and the first week, you know, I'm just going to give you some foundation on what the soul is, blah, 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 and, um, and get you thinking. All right? And, I, and this is going to be a journey that we're going to embark on for the rest of the year. Right? And I believe God is going to do amazing things in our midst. He's going to do a marvelous work in your life. Amen? For thousands of years, Jewish people have prayed this prayer in the day and in the night. And this prayer is called the Shema. And it goes like this in Deuteronomy. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all our strength. The goal of the Christian life is to live a life that honors God, that brings worth to God. Can we agree on that? The goal of our lives is to bring pleasure, glory, worth, adoration, devotion to the Lord. That's the goal of our life. Everything we do, you know, you might be called in specific areas, but all that you do, leads to that final point of bringing honor, glory, worth to Him. If you don't believe me, just flip to the end of the Bible. In the book of Revelations, we see that plain and clear. Can we agree on that? Yeah. 
our lives, the goal of our lives is to bring honour to God. This verse seems to suggest that in order to truly bring honour to God, to truly bring worth to Him, we need to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all our strength. Am I making sense? Jesus then that even quotes this very verse in the Gospels. We're all familiar with the heart. Pretty easy. Strength. Pretty self-explanatory. But what is the soul? What is this thing that is within us that can be heard, that can be moved, that can be impressed upon? What is the soul? You know, it's, it's so puzzling that, that the Bible in the Old Testament mentions the word soul 700 times. I think far more in the New Testament, you know, I haven't done the math. But this thing that we talk often about, you no, know, Ryan Bonke, like we must save souls. We talk, we use the word souls probably uh, in our Sunday services, you know, probably every Sunday service you'll hear the word souls. But if we truly, if we ask ourselves the question, what does it mean? Or if we, you know, even just take a moment to ponder, like, what does the word soul mean to me? What does it mean in God's kingdom, God's economy, most of us can't come up with an adequate answer or we're not too sure. Right? Can we agree on that? So this, you know, uh, we, we can take a lot of time away, but it can get theological and very complicated real quickly. But I'll just, I, I want to point um, us to a story in the book of Acts. It's found in Acts chapter 3. And this really distinguishes for us and, and gives us a, a bird's eye view you know, of the human body and, and, and our personhood and what it comprises of and what is the body, the soul, and the spirit. It goes like this. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John, about to go into a temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Next slide. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's look at that last line of the, second, of the first paragraph. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. I would like to suggest to you that this is the first account of the Bible, in, in the Bible, of a person who experienced healing in his body, in his soul, in his spirit. The word used for salvation in the Bible is the word sozo. And sozo means completeness, it means wholeness in every aspect, in every part of your person. This man, I would like to suggest to you, experienced healing, not only in his body, but in his soul, in his spirit. It says this, he, walking, was healed physically, leaping, he was healed emotionally in his soul, and praising God, he was restored spiritually. He walked, he leaped, and he praised Body, soul, and spirit. We are made and, and we, are, uh, we function that way, if you will. I'm making sense. So what is the soul? Often we, 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 when we think about the soul, we think um, it's in relation to emotions, your will, your mind, your intellect. But if we do a bit of, of study in the Hebrew, we realize that all these words, you know, emotions, will, mind, and stuff like that, they're all synonyms for the word soul. That doesn't help us 
any, uh, in any measure in our attempt to define what is a soul. David says this, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. You're all familiar with that. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and let all that is within me bless his holy name. I'd like to suggest to you that the soul is all that is within you. Your internal world, what goes on inside of you, is your soul. That making sense. I know this is pretty abstract, but you'll get clearer as you go. Help me preach. Your soul is all that is within you, your internal world. There's a verse in 3 John. Let's, let's put it up there. 3 John. And, um, no, 3 John is, is if, if it's one of the last books that the Apostle John wrote. And the Apostle John at this point in time was a really uh, seasoned, matured man in the faith. And uh, he writes this uh, a prayer at the start of uh, no, his, his last, uh, one of his last uh, books. And he writes this prayer to a man named Gaius, and he, he says this, Our beloved, I pray for you that you will prosper in all things and be well just as your soul prospers. Our beloved, I pray for you that you will prosper in all things and be well just as your soul prospers. You're familiar with the verse in Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. The kingdom that we are part of uh, like it or not, it's a cause and effect kind of kingdom. It's a sowing and reaping kind of kingdom. Your actions will lead to either consequence or reward. What John is suggesting to us is this. If you were to take care of your soul, if your soul prospers, then all other things that concern you, all other things that you touch will prosper as well. The way this world is designed to work is for our internal world to affect our external world. For most Christians, it occurs the other way around. External circumstance defines my internal spirituality or it defines the state of my internal world. The Bible says this, that from the heart, some translation says it's from the soul, flows the issues of life or is the wellspring of life. God intends for you to change to affect your external world by the state of your internal world and not the other way around. That making sense? The word prosper, okay? It's also the word, so it literally translates from the word to thrive, to succeed, but also the word journey and wholeness. So prosperity is to thrive on the journey toward wholeness. That making sense. To thrive on the journey toward wholeness. You know, when we think of soul, you know, we, we think of um, think of it in this manner, like God has come to save our souls. Oftentimes when we look at souls, we, we think it's 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 in relation to our eternal destiny or eternal destination, right? He has come to save our souls. And then that's it. There's nothing else. But then what do we do with verses like that? When it talks about our soul prospering. If all that we have to do with the soul, all that we have to interact with this thing called the soul is to pray the sinner's prayer and be assured that our souls will end up somewhere good in eternity. I don't think that's the case. You know, when I, I, I did a message recently, um, I spoke on salvation, right? I spoke on uh, this thing that we experienced called salvation, you know, and we were all saved. You know, I was saved 12 years ago. I prayed the sinner's prayer and I was saved. But the Bible says this, that the Bible says that I am still continually being saved. Paul says this, that you ought to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How many of you know that you were saved at one point, but you're still continually being saved? Your souls were saved at the point of salvation. But there is a journey that God wants you to embark on and it's the journey of the soul and it's discovering what true soul prosperity is on the earth. Is that making sense? It just doesn't stop at that one-off experience. But there's a journey. The, the word prosper means to embark on a journey to discover wholeness and completeness. Is that making sense? Your life.
Jesus emphasizes the importance of the soul, the importance of the soul in this verse. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Dallas Willard, you know, if you uh, read any theological books, you know that Dallas Willard is one of the foremost, is the top, uh, one of the top theologians in our day. You know, he's passed away since, but amazing man who really uh, uh, pioneered you know, uh, our understanding of the Bible and a uh, brilliant man. And uh, once Dallas Willard was, was actually asked uh, about you know, his understanding of this verse, and Dallas says this, you know, he said that the misconception we have towards this verse is that we think that Jesus is talking about the eternal destination of the soul as supposed to the current condition of the soul. Yeah. We, when we look at this verse, we think, what profits a man to gain the whole world but to go to hell? Jesus isn't saying that. What profits a man to gain the whole world, to have all of this, but his soul is in a condition which is lost? It's not at rest. It's trouble. Beloved, I pray for you that you will prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. The suggestion is this. The suggestion is that you can have all of this going on. You can do well externally. You can look like you have all your ducks in a row. You can look like everything's in order. But your soul can be in shambles. What profits a man to gain all of this but to lose his own soul, to have your soul lost? The Bible says this about Jesus, that he came to save those that which was lost. Am I making sense? I would like to suggest to you something, and this will be the premise for the rest of the message. I would like to propose to you that your soul needs a home. Your soul needs a home. How do you rid lostness? How do you get rid of lostness? You go home. You find belonging. Am I making sense? You know, I was on my, my honeymoon recently and uh, we did two weeks of travel. And uh, I, I, towards the end of it, I was like, I'm at the... I'm, I'm there, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm done, you know. Um, this is my opinion. Everybody say Andre's opinion. Andre's opinion is this. It's no longer a holiday when you need to do laundry. Laundry is work. So it's no longer a, a holiday. And so towards the end of the trip, we were like, we were out of underwear, you know. I, I did the thing where I tried to buy more underwear, you know. Brought less underwear, bring more underwear and... And I was like, out of underwear, and we were like, okay, we have no choice. We have to do the laundry. And, uh, you know, we did laundry like two days before trip end, and, uh, oh, okay. And, you know, the, the thing about me is that I, how do I put it? I like traveling, but I love uh, arriving a lot more. You know, I, I hate the whole travel part. I, like, I hate, like, the transition part. I don't like, you no know, staying in, in homes and beds that are not my own, you know. How many of you are with me? No, just me? It's just me, okay. Um, you know, the first, the first night we checked in the hotel and uh, there was like a ball of hair in the, in the buff, bathtub. We were like, oh, you. Gross. You know, and I, I don't know about you, you know, but I, I rarely uh, go number two outside. I like to go number two at home. Uh, yeah, TMI. But I'm sure I, I, I'm sure I have a witness here somewhere. You know, some, some of you are like, hold it in, you know, get back home and be in, in comfort, be at, at rest, really. Uh, you know, th- there's this thing about, about being at home that causes your, not just your soul, your entire personhood to be at rest. I'm, make, I'm making sense. You know, when I was uh, in the different hotel rooms, you know, in the different places that we're in, we're, we see hair, see dirt on the floor, we're like, oh my gosh, and you know, I'm, I'm a bit like clean freak like that, you know. Um, I don't understand why hotels have like white sheets, you know, because like white sheets equals you can see all the stains. And you know, I'm always in this place of like anxiousness. I was like, oh, is this clean? Is this dirty? But when I go home, you know, when I see hair on the floor, I'm like, oh, it makes sense that there, there is hair on the floor. Uh, well, I mean, this is the number one lesson I've learned living with a girl. Is that there is, is a, is a hairy situation. It's a lot of hair. Uh, but it doesn't trouble me, right? It doesn't make me anxious because I'm, like, I'm at home, I'm at rest, I'm good. But when I'm outside, when I see it on the floor, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, and it, it throws me into like this tailspin. I get very annoyed. And so then it, it brings about the question, what is the home of the soul? Where does the soul find its home? What is the environment that God has intended for your soul to thrive? Our environment to which you cultivate will always determine the measure of success we experience. 
God has put in you and me the ability to thrive. We know that. We can agree with that. But we know that your ability to thrive is as important as the environment you place yourself in. How many of you are familiar with fishes? Yes, fish. How many of you know that inbuilt in the fish is the ability to swim? Yes? How many of you are familiar with birds? Inbuilt in the ability of bird is the ability to fly. Inbuilt in the plant, okay, is the ability to grow. Right. The ability is... What? Sorry? Yeah. Follow me. Come on. The ability, okay, is put into these things, the fish, the bird, the plant. Agree on that? Yes. But if I were to take the fish who has this nat- the natural ability to swim and put it on the ground, how many of you know the fish is not going to swim? Right? If I take the bird and I shove it into the ocean, how many of you know the bird is not going to fly? Yes? If I take the plant and I shove it into a volcano, how many of you know the plant is not going to grow? Making sense? The ability to thrive, to perform is as important as the environment to which you put yourself in. God has put in you His Holy Spirit. He has given you all that you need to thrive. But the environment to which you put yourself in is as important as he, what that which He has placed inside of you. So what then is the environment, is the atmosphere, is the, the, the space to which the soul thrives? We read in the Bible that you know, Adam and Eve, uh, they ate forbidden fruit. And then their, the Bible says that their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked and they felt shame. We're all familiar with that passage, right? How many of you know that it's not as though when they ate the fruit that their clothes dropped off? It says that, you know, then their eyes were open. How many of you know it's not as though they were like, where's the tree? Where's the tree? You know, and they were like blind and trying to find the fruit and they ate the fruit and their eyes were open. It's not the case, right? says that, you no, know, they ate the fruit and then their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked and then they experienced shame. What happened? I'd like to propose to you this is what happened. God intended for Adam and Eve to function a certain way, to be in a certain environment. He put safeguards and boundaries in place. And when Adam and Eve chose to disobey the word of God and move out of the safeguards, the boundaries, the environment to which God has intended for them to flourish, they experienced something that they had no grace to handle and no capacity to battle, to fight. Am making sense? When we move out of God's intended environment, purpose, design for our lives, we enter into a battle that we have no grace for. To gain a, a, a bit more insight into what is the soul and you know, how the soul thrives and where God intends for us to, to flourish, I'd like to take us to a passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 2. Um, for info, the, the title of my sermon series is Soul Prosperity. Everybody says soul prosperity. Amen. It says this in Genesis 2. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Think about it. You know, God formed man from the ground and then he breathed into man. And then man became a living soul. So, man, the form of man without any life. And then the breath of God. And then man became a life, became a living soul. That making sense? You know, it's, it's such a, a, a beautiful picture. You, know? it's, you are the very embodiment of heaven on earth. Think about it. You were made from the earth. Heaven's breath entered into nostrils. You are the very embodiment of heaven meeting earth. What happens when heaven touches earth? Life happens. So the breath of God entered into man. And man became alive. I'd like to suggest to you that that which sparked life in you in the beginning is that which sustains life in you today. You know, uh, scientists have, have uh, discovered that all matter, okay, the chairs, the wood, everything that you, you see, vibrates at a certain frequency. We all know that, you know. And scientists have discovered that, I can, that they can make these objects move just by discovering what frequency that object vibrates at, projecting the same frequency, and it co- can cause that object to move as well. I don't have to, they don't have to touch it. 
They just need to know what frequency it's vibrating in, and it causes that to vibrate as well. And this phenomenon is called resonance. You know, if I were to get on the keyboard, I don't know where that note is, if I play the, the A note, and I'll play it repeatedly. We all know the guitar, most of us know the guitar, and the guitar has different strings, and one of the strings is the A string, is tuned to the key of A. If I were to slam that A note repeatedly, and you will look at a guitar and see the string, you will see it begin to vibrate. Because it's at the same frequency. Making sense? Your soul has a frequency. Your soul finds its resonance in the breath of God. We have different words for it. Some of us call it vibe. Some of us call it fuse. Some of us call it, oh, I, you, you know what I mean. We have different words for it. What is that feeling? Okay, and, and I'm sure you, you, you have felt it before when you meet a person and, and you talk and all of a sudden you click and you're jiving, you know, that's another word, and you are, you're really connecting and you feel it, you feel it, that resonance. What is that? What is that? I put it to you that it is in the breath of God that your soul finds its resonance and not just that, your soul thrives. Your soul is renewed and made alive in the breath of God. I'm making sense. The Garden of Eden, okay, it, it comprises of this thing, you know, it was, there was perpetual rest in God. There was responsibility that was given to man. You know, man was given certain jobs and, and tasks to do certain things by the Lord. There was the call to restrain, you know. Restrain yourself. Don't, don't partake in, this, in that tree. But there's also the aspect of relationship. Rest, responsibility, restraint, and relationship was the environment that God created for your soul to thrive in. Your soul only finds its fullest uh, joy, its fullest uh, life, if you will, in the context of relationship, in experiencing God. The Bible says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that every single human being, not just Christians, have an inbuilt, an innate desire for the glory of God. Every single human soul, every single person that's alive today is alive because of the breath of God. There's no other way. Because of that, in every human soul is a vacuum, is a void that can only be truly, fully, consistently satisfied by its maker. I'm making sense. You're following me? It says this in, in Psalm 63. It says, you are God... You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My soul longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Our soul longs for God. Longs for Him. It's interesting that um, in the Genesis account when it talked about uh, the creation of man, you know, when man was, was created, God said that it was very good. And then fast forward a few verses down. God said this about man, that it is not good for man to be alone. And then he created man a helper. It's interesting that in God's economy, in God's perspective of good, of perfect, of you know, it's the pinnacle of his, his creation. It, in that perfectness, in that goodness, he created man with need. In a world today, we associate need with weakness. We associate need as a lack, as a dysfunction. But in God's economy, in the eyes of the Lord, Need is good. Need is perfect. He's de he designed us to, to do life together, not, not our own. And just as your body has physical needs, you need to eat, you need to drink, your soul has needs as well. And if you don't discover what the needs of your soul is, or if you're not effectively meeting the needs of your soul, can I put it to you that every dysfunction you experience in your life is a result of unmet need. Every dysfunction you experience in life is because of unmet need. Some of you are experiencing certain measure of dysfunctions, have really bad habits or have addictions that you're battling with because there are needs that you're not addressing in your life. That is what sin is. Sin is the attempt to find satisfaction, fleeting as it may be, in something else apart from God. Until you discover 
what your soul needs, what your soul craves for, your soul will always be out of rest. Your soul will always be troubled. Your soul will be without a home. There is no one apart from God that can consistently, without fail, meet your need. And if you place your expectation, your hope in something or someone else, they are bound to fail. And when needs are not met, it, it creates disappointment, it creates discouragement and you spiral. Where does the soul thrive? Where does the soul come alive? It's in the breath of God. The Bible says that the encounter is it's not just God taking men and just phew, taking a straw and blowing it far away. It says that, that God brought men close, that face-to-face encounter, and he breathed into the nostrils of men. That intimate connection. That's where your soul thrives. I'd like to propose four needs of the human soul. And I'm just going to go through it and I'm going to touch on it uh, next week or the following week. But I'd like to propose four needs and we're going to touch on it at some point. I propose to you that the soul has a need for satisfaction. The soul has a need for significance. The soul has a need for security. And the soul has a need for solace. I put in a lot of effort. I desperately try to make everything as... <laughs> PD loves it, man. This is his love language. Satisfaction, significance, security, and solace. His soul is full. And the soul felt his worth. Um, it's true. You know, and I'm going to touch on, on these needs uh, in, in one of my sermons. Uh, I'm going to journey through this. I'd like to suggest to you that needs are not the issue here. It's not an issue to be needy, to have needs. It's not an issue. There's nothing wrong with you. The problem is how we get those needs met. The issue is that whether the way we meet our needs is healthy or dysfunctional. We all have a need for sleep, yes. Okay? All have a need for sleep. Agreed, yes. Some of you have like lower capacity for it. You need two hours. Praise be to you. Um, no, no praise be to you. That's blasphemous. But we all have, we all have a need for sleep, yes. How we get that need met, okay, is the issue. If in order for us to sleep, we need to take pills, need to down three shots of whiskey, we need to knock ourselves on the head with a frying pan, can I put it to you and suggest to you that that is potentially dysfunctional? Right? The issue is not the needs. We are all created with needs. It's by design that we are lacking in certain areas. By design, this is in God's good and perfect plan and will for your life and mine. I know, tough for you to swallow. You think you're all complete and attained it? No. What are needs? The issue is how we get those needs met. I'll dive into more of that in my next few sermons. But today I want to close with this. I want to close with three signs of a restless soul. Three signs of a restless soul. And I hope this will spark something within you that... You know, you might not be in tune with your soul. Or you might have had an encounter like I did, you know, where the Lord confronted you on the matter, on the issue of your soul. You might not be in, in touch with that. But can I put it to you that it is crucial, it's vital for you to discover health in your soul, not just in your body, in your spirit. Because God desires for you to be whole and complete, body, soul, and spirit. And when we choose to neglect one area of life, much like the body, if we choose to work out in the gym and not touch our legs, you know, you look like a chicken. God's desire and plan for your life is for you to be whole in all aspects and all respects of your life. I'm making sense. The subtitle of my summer series is this. It's, Are You Well? Are You Well? Is your soul well? You know, turn to your neighbor and say, Are you well? Are you well? You know, are you well? Is your soul well? You know, we, we have a few people in our, in our midst that um, uh, did some... Uh, you know, studies in, in America. And one of the things you, you realize about Americans is that, you know, um, no matter whether you know the person for like 10 years or whether, you know, the person is, uh, you know, at the checkout register, you know, you always uh, post the question, uh, how's it going? Or how are you? You know, um, and most of the time they're not expecting you to really describe to them how you're actually doing, you know. I remember once, you know, um, I was in school and uh, just a random guy walked by me and I was like, hey, how's it going? I was like, oh, man, actually it's terrible. I'm not doing so good. Uh, really need prayer. And, and the guy was like, oh, uh, 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 and didn't know how to respond, you know. 
I was doing okay. I was just, as the kids say, trolling. Uh, but, so dated. But, but it's, it's true, you know, they, they'll come and say, how's it going? My wish is for our community, uh, you know, for, for this idea of the soul, for this uh, reality of an internal world that is active, that is uh, functional inside of us, that is alive, for that reality, for that thing, the soul, to become part of the way we engage with one another in community. That'll mean that, you know, instead of asking just a surface question like, oh, what, what, how, how's it going? You know, what are you doing? You know, uh, how's work? How's school? How's family? We ask the crucial question, how is your soul? How is your soul? Are you well? Are you whole? Are you complete? How is your soul? I'm making sense. So these are three signs of a, a restless soul. No, even as I'm talking, I sense some restlessness. <laughs> Give me eight minutes and I'll land the plane. All right? This is crucial. This is important, guys. And I believe this, this will really, really you know, uh, transform and, and impact your spiritual life. All right? First sign of restless soul. Your emotions are inconsistent. Your emotions are inconsistent. I know it sounds like I'm saying emotions are a bad thing. They're not. Emotions are from God. Jesus himself was a very emotional man. He experienced anger, sadness, joy. Jesus himself partook in emotions. I look at emotions this way. Emotions are the expression of the internal world. That means internally, you know, if I am upset, I express it through the emotion of anger, being annoyed or being irritated. Emotions are a gauge, if you will, uh, a way to tell the state of the internal world. There's a popular saying it says this, that emotions are a terrible master but a great slave. Emotions are to be a gauge and not a guide. One of the most dysfunctional statements that have infiltrated our generation is this statement of follow your heart. Follow your heart. You know, and, and I'm sure... You know, some of you have been given that advice at some point in your life, or you might have it tattooed somewhere, I don't know, like, follow my heart. You know, and it's, it sounds beautiful, it sounds, it sounds amazing, but it's not biblical. It's absolutely not biblical. The Bible says this, that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? This notion of follow your heart is extremely destructive. The lie that's infiltrated our culture is this, that when I feel something, that equates to truth. And when I feel something repeatedly, that is part of my identity and I have to live from it. Can you picture a society where all of us live and are motivated purely by feeling? Because I want to do a certain thing, I do a certain thing. I don't want to go to work, I don't go to work because I feel it. It's almost like, you know, that trump card that you slam on the table when your relationship's like, you make me feel this. Shut up. Psalm 42, no, David says this. He says, why, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. This gives me insight that it is the soul that experiences emotions. Downcast. Why so downcast, my soul? But it also brings to mind this other uh, aspect of interacting with the soul. David gives us license and precedence to question our emotions, to question why we are feeling a certain way. Am I making sense? Why so downcast, oh my soul? I'd like to suggest to you that it is okay for you to feel. I'm not saying feelings, emotions is a bad thing. Validate the emotions. But don't validate the dysfunction and the reaction. You know your soul is troubled when your emotions are inconsistent. Let me give you a, a scenario. Suppose, you know, I ask Amy later, like, Amy, do you want soup? And her reply to me is like, I don't want soup. Why you keep asking me if I want soup? I told you I don't want soup last time, right? Why you need to ask me again? Why can't you, tell, why can't you know what I want to order? Why you have to ask me what I order? Isn't this marriage? Marriage doesn't know me, right? You just want to know me, right? Huh? And then she just like goes off the rail. And they're like, I don't eat anymore, you know? Yeah. Actually, not Amy and me, huh? But, 
Rational or not? Right? What do I mean by emotional inconsistency? It means this. It means that the emotions are not proportionate or consistent with the problem, adversity, circumstance, or situation. You, we've all experienced this before. Or we've all felt, okay, maybe you're never feel because you're all saints. But we've all seen people go off the handle, you know, at a small comment or a little thing. You no, know, we, we call it triggers, right? It's like, oh, I'm triggered, you know? What, what causes the trigger? What causes the trigger? Yeah, what, what causes their outburst emotions? One of two things. One, offense. You know, I once met a lady, you know, I was... Uh, in a leadership role over her life and she just did not like me at all. You know, and she was like very abrasive, very like rude and get angry at me all the time and began to discover that she actually had like really abusive men in her life and to her like all men are enemy. You know, they, 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 no man will lead my life. And she would react, she would like, go off the handle because of uh, that offense, that unforgiveness that was in her heart. We're all familiar with my, most of us are familiar with my story. You know, I got knocked down by a car when I was 16 years old. That's how, how I ended up in church. And Axel um, can attest to it, but the first few years after I got knocked down by a car, every time I crossed the road, man, I was like in this constant panic mode. You know, of like, oh, I might get hit down. Anytime, one, one time Axel left me in the middle of the road and, and I was just there and I was screaming. Yeah, I was screaming a bit. Why? Because I, I experienced some manner of trauma, right? Offense, unforgiveness, trauma leads to emotional inconsistency. And I put it to you that that is a sign of a troubled and restless soul. If you find yourself constantly overreacting, okay, that's subjective, I know, but you know in your heart that you overreacted. You know. If you find yourself overreacting consistently, okay, your feelings are real, Validate the feelings, but don't validate, validate the overreaction. Don't validate the dysfunctional and say, because I feel that way, I get to express it a certain manner. I get to make other people feel that way too. It's a sign of a restless, of a troubled soul, of a soul that is lost and not at home. Not just overreacting, but underreacting. If you can't cry at Toy Story 3, something is definitely wrong with you. <laughs> we, we all know, right? We all know people that are just like, oh yeah, someone died. There is a problem. Okay, okay, I need to book it. 12 ready. Follow me. Are you ready? Okay. Second sign of a troubled soul. You are constantly overwhelmed. You're constantly overwhelmed. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, follow me, rest for your souls. You're constantly overwhelmed. If you are always stressed, Always angsty. Always, you know, on the edge. I put it to you that that's not a healthy place for your life. If you are busy all the time, can I suggest to you that you are not really busy, but it is a product of poor time management or poor priorities. Poor priority spending. I'm not saying it's wrong to be busy. We, we all have seasonal busyness. Agree on that, yes? But if you're constantly busy, perpetually busy, that is a result of poor time management, of not knowing to put up right boundaries, of not prioritizing the important things. We often go, I don't have a choice. My employer demands this. I don't have a choice. We often relegate power to someone else, to something else, to a situation, to a circumstance. Can I put it to you that you have a choice? The choice might look like taking a lesser paying job in order to preserve your soul. It's a choice. Live a lower standard of living, preserve my soul. It's a choice. Don't act like your hands are tied that you have no control over your soul life. Busyness is often appealing to those who struggle to find their significance in life. Busyness is often appealing to those who struggle to find significance. Are you making sense? Yeah? Here's how I know you're overwhelmed. You come, follow me. I'll land this plane shortly. Here's how I know you're overwhelmed. When you, when you drop the ball on your commitment, this is how I know you're overwhelmed. When you stop living out the things you committed, that's how I know you're overwhelmed. And failing on commitments is a lot more destructive than you actually think it is. It says this, that of uh, 
David. It says that in the day where kings went out to battle, David chose to stay at home. David chose to stay at home and not fulfill his commitments, his role as king. And what happened? Right after that, David saw Bathsheba and he fell into sin. You think flaking on commitments is a small thing, but it's a slippery slope. You will spiral to the point where you might even give up your convictions. Your soul is trouble. Soul, good. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I need, I need to cut this out. <laughs> okay, okay. Very fast. I, I, we have a lot of ground cover. But I want to give you seven reasons you're overwhelmed. Can I do that? Very fast, okay? Seven reasons, okay? Okay. No, really. It, it's very fast. Seven reasons you're overwhelmed. Intake. Are you taking in so much unimportant negative stuff like the news and social media that you don't have room for the good things that will give you peace? In balance, do you know what your real priorities are? Indecision. Are you slow to make a decision that, create, that you create opportunities for doubt and worry? Integrity. Are you the same person no matter where you are or who you are around? Intention. Do you worry about how people think about you or how you appear to others? Imagination. Do you spend time worrying about future events or having imaginary arguments with other people? Isolation. Are you frequently by yourself? I'm sure we can relate to one of these. If you experience any one of these in life, can I suggest to you that that is why you're overwhelmed? That is why you're not at peace? That is why you're not at rest? Are you overwhelmed? When was the last time you went to a nice restaurant? When was the last time you took a vacation? When was the last time you rest a little? Take care of your soul. Some of you go on too much vacation, you need to work. But to those of you struggling to, to take a vacation, this word is for you. To those of you who are very okay at taking vacation, feel free to ignore the last part. Last sign of a troubled, restless soul. You live in fear of the future. You live in fear of the future. Uh, I had this experience uh, for the last two weeks. You know, I had an ear infection in my ear and I uh, couldn't hear out my right ear for the last two weeks. Um, and you know, I, I saw a doctor and uh, it, was, it was taking too long. And uh, I remember you know, I was sitting at home and um, all of a sudden you know, I, I was just plagued with these thoughts of I'm going deaf. You know, I'm going deaf. And to, to the point of, you know, I googled like, uh, like hearing it, you know, I was like, don't laugh, don't laugh. We've we all been there. But I googled like, you no, know, got black one, you know, got like, and color coordinate. You know. And, okay, sounds ridiculous, right? You know, and you know, I have a great wife, you know. I, I remember I was just like, not a happy camper. I was just troubled. I was just angry all the time, you know, because I, I couldn't hear. It's just a very annoying, frustrating thing. And then Amy comes up to me one night and is like, hey, would you like to take communion? I was like, take communion? And I was just like, okay, you know, I have to be spiritual. And I was like, okay, I'll take communion. So I take communion and she prayed for me and, and I felt better. And the next day, you know, everything worked out. Um, the Bible says this. The Bible says this in, in the Psalms. It says, gracious words are honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Gracious words. You know, um, and I, I would describe that, that, uh, that moment when, you know, she, she told me, you know, I, Fix your eyes on God. Don't fix your eyes on the problem. Like that, that was grac- those were gracious words. God-filled words. My p- perspective uh, changed instantly and that was okay. You know, but now in hindsight, you know, I look at that scenario, I was like, well, that was so irrational. Why did I think that way? Why was I in fear? My soul wasn't at rest. The Bible talks about um, Elijah in 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 18, you know, he had this like, massive victory over the prophets of Baal. You know, um, he went to the prophets of Baal. He was like, oh, well, your God, you think what? Your God, your God good. Ah. Then he was like, okay, you know what? We're going to have a competition. It's like, put an altar there. Put a uh, sacrifice on there and call on your gods to send fire down. And so the prophets of Baal were like, okay, lah, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And so they begin to cut themselves and, and do different things, leaping and trying to make fire come down from heaven. And nothing came. And then Elijah, right? He, he provoked them. He asked for this competition. He was like, you know what? This is too easy. And he was like, give me four buckets of water. And he poured water on the altar. And he was like, you know, I'm just going to show you how great my God is, right? And he poured water on the altar and they caught fire and fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. We know. And then Elijah was all, he was the man, man. He was bold, confident. He was the man. Experienced a great victory. In the first Kings, chapter 19, I kid you not, next verse, word got to uh, 
the, the pagan queen Jezebel and she, and she heard of Elijah and she sent word to Elijah and said, I'm going to do to you what you did to them. And then Elijah began to fear for his life to the point that he became suicidal. He was like, I've got to kill myself. You know, Before she comes to get me, I've got to kill myself. That is irrational. The preacher calls it a foreboding spirit. And what a foreboding spirit is this? The spirit of impending doom. That you live your life in perpetual fear of what awaits you in the future. You live your life in perpetual fear of impending doom. There's a popular saying, you know, um, hope for the best but expect the worst. That is not from the Psalms, that is not from the Proverbs. That's not true. Why so downcast, O oh, your soul? Hope in God. Hebrews 6.19, this is the Bible verse of BB Boys. says Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope, an anchor for our soul, that's firm, that's secure. The Bible says this, that it's the God of hope that fills us with all peace in believing. The armor of God, and I talked about the armor of God often, and the shoes to which the soldier wears, it's often referred to as the gospel of peace. Last thought, gospel of peace. That sandal is not like Jesus sandals, it's not flat sandals, but that sandals that the soldiers wear actually has long spikes at the base of the sandal and is designed to keep the soldier firm, grounded, established in the midst of the fight. That which is associated to peace is what grounds us, is what keeps us firm, secured, steadfast. Your soul is without ground, is without steadfastness, is always troubled, is always pushed around by the waves until you have the peace of God in your life. And that comes from hope. And that hope is an anchor for your soul. It keeps you there. It keeps you from drifting. And making sense. Closing the story. Horatio Spafford invested most of what he had in real estate. He lived in Chicago and lost everything in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. It destroyed his home. They had no insurance. He lost most of his money. In 1873, he put his wife and their four daughters on a ship heading to England as he stayed behind to re-stimulate his business. A few days after the ship departed, he received a telegram from his wife. Saved alone. What shall I do? There had been a shipwreck. All four of their daughters perished. Horatio quickly boarded another ship to England, and as it passed over the very same place in the ocean where his daughters had drowned, he wrote these words to a song. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. What kind of peace and soul life is this that can proclaim it is well even in the midst of tragedy? It is a soul that has found its hope, its anchor in God. Are your emotions inconsistent? Are you overwhelmed all the time? Are you living with a perpetual fear of what the future holds? Can I put it to you that your soul is lost? Your soul is troubled? Your soul is without rest? It's time to come home. Can we stand? Are you all with me? Let's take a moment and close our eyes. You know, um, silence, you know, um, what are things you've been thinking about, you know, just keep your lunch plans at the side for a while, you know. Stop thinking about other things. I want you to close your eyes and in your own way, begin to look into your soul. Ask yourself the honest questions today. Is my soul well? Am I healthy? Just do that for a moment. Every eye closed. Just ask yourself what I believe is such a crucial question. What profits a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Ask yourself a question. How is my soul? Am I healthy? Every eye closed. Ask yourself a question. Am I healthy? Am I whole? Am I complete? For some of you, you know, a, a troubled soul might look like you needing to find significance, your identity in something, in someone else. It could look like an addiction to social media, needing to feel validated all the time. 
That's a troubled soul. That's a soul that doesn't know its home in God. In just a few moments, I, I want to pray for you. And with every eye closed still, you know, I want to ask, is there anyone that wants to respond to, to that word? You know where your soul is at. You know it's not healthy. You know you are in trouble. You know, life is not going good. But the Bible says this, you know, if you were to take care of your soul life, you prosper in your internal world. He will prosper you. So if you know, you know, your emotions are awake, you're overwhelmed, you're in I believe the, the grace of God is in this place and God wants to touch you and, and release that grace for you to begin a journey towards wholeness, a journey towards completeness, a journey of the soul. So with every eye closed still, I want to pray for you. If you'd like to respond to this, that word, I want you to lift your hands. I'll, I'll pray for you. Is there anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Asya. Thank you. Thank you. If you know that you are not well in your soul, your emotions are out of whack, you're overwhelmed, you're in fear, you're not at peace, you're struggling relationally, you're struggling, you're drowning, and I put it to you that, that He's here. Your anger for your soul. I'm just going to give it another moment. If there's anyone else, lift your hands, be bold, be courageous. I want to pray for you. Thank you, thank you. All across this room, let's lift our hands. Let's ask for, for your own life, first and foremost, for God's grace, peace, His hope to fill you once again. Come on, in your own words, begin to cry out, begin to ask. Fill me with hope. Fill me with grace. Fill me with peace. Come on, put a demand in heaven for your own life.